Good evening and welcome to the Film and TV Show with me, Richard S. I hope you had a great bank holiday weekend and for those of you that have had time off, I hope you've enjoyed it and you are raring to go back to work tomorrow. So this evening we will be teleporting you back to the 1980s, the decade where film and TV was probably at its peak, Uh, along with the soundtracks actually, soundtracks for some of the, uh, well most of the films of the 1980s are actually the best that you can find, and obviously that's my own opinion. However, you know, prove me wrong. Prove me wrong. So what we've got in store is a review of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. There will be spoilers in this, but I will keep those until the very, very end and will let you know that I will be coming up with some spoilers so that you can just turn us down for a couple of minutes while I ruin it for everybody else. We will then be going into um, a couple of films that... People tend to forget about what actually happened in the 1980s that really, to me, some of them are actually my favourite, some of my favourite films. I'd put them in my top 20. Um, But we're going to be going through some of those. We'll also be going through a couple of 80s gems. I've got two gems for you uh, today. And we're also going to be going through a Name That Film clip a little bit later on, which has been sent in by one of our listeners, Nick, who uh, has recorded that for us. So we'll be playing that. And then moving on to a couple of 80s TV programs, which just make me chuckle. And, and we've got a couple of uh, musical sound bites from those as well. So I hope you're going to tune in for the rest of the show and I hope you'll enjoy it. And I will leave you with this just to get us started.
That was the fabulous ELO Electric Like Orchestra um, with Mr. Blue Sky. And if you haven't been paying attention to the media and the world of TV and film recently, you will know that, or you wouldn't know that that is actually one of the main songs from our next part of the show, which is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. So as I said before, there will be some spoilers in here, but I will leave those right to the very, very end. Um, so as I said, if you haven't been around, Guardians is the uh, big blockbuster for Marvel so far this year. Plenty more to come with Thor Ragnarok later on in the year, so hopefully that'll be just as good. But what I want to do is just give you my own personal review of um, of of Guardians because it's a, it is a great film, but I don't want to to do what I did last time. I don't want to just tell you the plot line. I want to kind of give you my own thoughts about it and whether you agree or disagree. You know, please get in touch on the Facebook page uh, at FTV Show, um, or you can just go on to and type in Film and TV Show on Herald Radio in Facebook, or we are on Twitter um, at the FTV Show. So, first of all, I have to say that the trailer doesn't do justice for Guardians. Guardians is it's so much better than the trailer actually says. What you what you tend to find is that all the best bits are in the trailer. And then you kind of you you're left disappointed because you've seen all the best bits about a hundred times in the trailers. But with Guardians, that isn't the case. A lot of the best bits for me weren't actually in the trailers, and a lot of the one-liners and a lot of the quips weren't actually in the trailer. So it it really made it a lot better for me. And the trailer just definitely doesn't do it justice. The opening sequence is absolutely brilliant. It features Baby Group and. If you don't know who Baby Groot is, obviously you may not have seen the first Guardians. I would suggest you go and watch the first one before you watch the second one, but that is entirely up to you. You can watch the second one if you really want to. Um, so it focuses on Baby Groot, and within the background, there is a whole action sequence going on that you, you don't really know where to focus. Do you focus on the action sequence? Do you focus on Baby Groot? Do you focus on Mr. Blue Sky that's banging in, in, you know, in and around your ears? It's, it, it's quite... It's quite a good effect. It, it has a real good effect on on your senses. It's like, well, what do I do? Where do I go? And it it kind of gives you the, the sort of feeling of how the the film is going to progress as it's going on. There is a lot of vivid colours through um, through Guardians Two, a lot more so than the first one. There's a lot more. Um, I don't know. It's a lot more neon colour. I would say neon. They're not really neon, but that they really stand out. And when you when you're watching some of the scenes, they do really stand out, and it really kind of grabs you visually, which is what you would expect from a film. There is a a really that's not even subtle. There is a really high underlying theme of family and family issues and confronting all of those issues throughout the the film. And when you watch it, that will become apparent as to to where, why, how, who, etc., etc. But it, it's it's a not so obvious, not so subtle underlying thing, which I thought was really good because from the first one there was a lot of unanswered questions and there was a lot of things you kind of think, well, hang on a minute, how how I don't quite understand that. And this kind of answers some of them. It answers some of them, but it still leaves a lot in the air. As I said, there are a lot of one-liners, a lot of funny, funny quips. Um, within the film, and it's spread out equally between all of them. More surprisingly, quite a few of them come from Drax, played by Dave Bautista. Um, and it's kind of odd because when you are watching the first one, he's very stiff, very literal. But in this film, he's very blasé, very kind of laid back. It's kind of like the rest of the Guardians have, have rubbed off on him, sort of. Um, the soundtrack is absolutely amazing and it plays very, very well within the film. It matches what's happening or what's just happened on the screen. And I think that's one thing that Marvel does very, very well in terms of music and soundtracks is that the songs actually, they do kind of match what is going on on screen. So you kind of, you're watching and you're hearing and you're putting the two together. And it's very easy to do that. There are a lot of scenes where the songs are are being played and you can kind of understand the thought process behind that which I thought is really really good um, so the main plot of Guardians 2 is that they're hired to save some magical batteries uh, Rocket steals them Ego well, they then get attacked Ego saves them if you don't know who Ego is I won't spoil that but obviously you know the power of Google you can Google who Ego is and then he and then the film kind of once that happens, the film kind of delves into to Quill and Ego's similarities, and then that's where underlying issues start to surface, and they take over as the main sort of theme 
with a lot of other bits and pieces going on in between, obviously it's not just that, there is a lot more, but I don't want to spoil it too much or go into too many plot details because it will kind of give away parts of the film, which I want to keep to the end of this review. The acting in this one, I must admit, is is, is exceptional across the board, in, in my opinion. I mean, I watched the first one and there was a lot of wooden acting in that, more prominently from Karen Gillan, which, as any Whovians out there will know, she was Amy Pond in Doctor Who, and she was actually really good in that. But in the first Guardian, she was awful, absolutely awful. But in this one, she was amazing, absolutely brilliant. And as I said, the acting across the board was, was brilliant. They all got the right amount of screen time. The dialogue was well written, and it kind of matched each of the personalities of the characters, which started to show through a lot more. There were some excellent puns um, that had the intended impact and they drew a lot from the comics to make the characters more well-rounded, which I thought was really, really good. Uh, added a lot more weight to the overall feel of the film, which I, I, I really enjoyed. As I said, Karen Gillan was a lot better in this one as uh, Nebula. She was a lot less wooden. She was she had a lot she had a lot better dialogue, to be honest. In the first film, my dialogue was pretty poor, very very one-dimensional, at least in this one there's a lot more to her, they've kind of delved a little bit more into her character depth and they've really brought it out of her, which I, I think was great and it was great for her because she got a lot more screen time this time round. Michael Rooker as Yondu is the absolute standout for me, I thought he was absolutely amazing, he portrays a range of emotions from anger and sadness and he contrasts them impeccably well and I think it's it's a testament to him as as an actor. Um, he managed to show quite a lot of vulnerability as well from the character, which obviously shines through. There's a lot of scenes where you can you can see this, especially when he's interacting with um, Quill and with Rocket, and they're kind of done with just the right amount of vulnerability and anger and angst and and everything. And they were very powerful. Um, the one with Peter uh, with Quill was was really powerful for me, and the one with Rocket was as well um it was a good cameo from sylvester stallone but it kind of seemed pointless to me it only really serves to set up one of the post credit scenes and to have an extra added impact on the final scene um stallone actually plays uh, stucker allgaard um aka starhawk who is um i won't ruin it just for now but that's who he plays um Zoe Saldana and Chris Pratt, uh, Star-Lord and Gamora, they were just as good as the first one. They kind of plateaued in this film. They got a little less screen time than last. They did come across more accomplished and their dialogue seemed to it did seem to suit them a lot better this time round. Um, I thought it suited the, uh, the characters a lot better. Chris Pratt was more convincing in his scenes with Kurt Russell, who plays Ego, and he so, showed some real, real passion and emotion that you wouldn't necessarily see from his character before because it kind of cuts through the, the boyish charm and the, the bravado and the arrogance he had from the first film and you kind of see a more softer side to, to Quill, which I think is really, really good. Speaking of Kurt Russell, he was very underused by a long, long, long way. Um, he could have done with having more time, um, better dialogue. He did seem forced in some some parts. It did seem like he was being forced, which was real sad because I think that there's a lot of growth for the for the character, but it just didn't seem to get that. It seemed kind of rushed at some points. Um, but you know, he was central to to the plot and to the to the film. So you know, they could have kind of done a little bit more with him. Craglin, played by uh, Sean Gunn, was he was very very good. He's one of the subordinates for Yonder, and I thought that he got a lot more screen time and a lot more. Um, character building a lot more depth this time round, uh, which was good, and it it, it showed a it showed a lot of a, a lot of flaws for both Yonder and for himself, and obviously the loyalty as well, which I thought was really really good. Um, there was a lot more substance this time round across the board for all of the um, all of the cast and all of the characters. I thought that uh, James Gunn did really really well to get the 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 substance just right with each of them. Obviously, it's not perfect, nothing's ever perfect, but it was a, a massive improvement on the first. It definitely falls into one of those films that is better than the original, uh, in my opinion. Um, some real standout scenes for me was a couple with Yondu and Rocket when they were in a loading bay, uh, and Yondu getting his revenge. That's all I'm going to say because it's a, it's an absolute corker, um, and the vi visual effects for that was 
amazing, absolutely amazing. There was um, a couple of instances where Rocket is having digs at someone and taking the mickey out of their name. It is actually quite funny. It kind of starts off kind of like, okay, where's this going? And then all of a sudden you kind of find yourself laughing. I thought it was really, really good. Um, the visual effects were were amazing. Uh, as you would expect coming from a Marvel film, they tend to kind of put all their eggs in into the visual effects and the CGI, and they were really, really good. They really managed to get across the 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 comics perspective and, and get all that across. And you can tell that there was a lot of effort that was done to keep... to to the the scenery and the the dialogue that you find in some of the comics, as well as the um, the overall effect. So the fight scenes and the the scenes that you see on Ego's planet were were highlights for me because it really showed the the kind of broad spectrum of visual effects that they have and, and that they do, which I thought was really really good. There's a couple of very good um, and a very unexpected references. There's a Mary Poppins reference. There's also a Despicable Me reference, and it's a very much a blink and you miss it. But it, I think I was the only one in the cinema that actually laughed at that. If you've got kids, just think of the very first Despicable, Despicable Me and the one standout quote from that film and you'll kind of get where I'm going with that. Um, the ever-growing list of names that they have for Rocket to rile him up I think is great. And in this film, it includes Trash Panda and Triangle Monkey, which is absolutely hilarious. Don't quite know why, but it was absolutely brilliant. And the ending scenes, the ending scenes really hit you right in the feels. I mean, they they literally get you right in the feels. So be prepared, be prepared for the ending. Um, so as I said before, I will give away some spoilers. I'm going to be giving away the spoilers in about 10 seconds. So if you don't want to listen, I've got some pretty big ones and I don't want to ruin it for you, but you have been warned. So the biggest one the biggest spoiler is that unfortunately Yondu dies and it was an absolute wrench to see him die because for me his character grew so much in the film and you really kind of started to feel for him he wasn't just a ravenger he was you know he, he was actually a dad to Peter and I think there was one standout part where he says you know he may have been your father but he's not your daddy and I think that was great because Yondu brought Quill up from a young age and I think that was that was really good and, and, you know, it was such an excellent character arc in the film. It was a real shame for him to die because the interactions that he had with Quill and Rocket were were probably the highlights for me and a testament to Michael Rooker. And it was it, it, it was sad that that they that they killed him off, which was a real you know, it was a real shame to be perfectly honest with you, because they should have allowed the, the, the character to grow a little bit further. But you know, that's that, that's it for me. Ego being the baddie was a massive surprise for me. I didn't think that he would end up being a baddie, but, you know, that kind of sucks. Uh, the Howard the Duck cameo was short but absolutely hilarious, absolutely brilliant. Um, Stan Lee's cameos, which are a given in Marvel films now, they were good and they proved that there was a much, much more to the more to the the much talked about theory that he was a watcher and it was it was very good and um it was kind of one of the the post credits but it could have been done a little bit better i think adam warlock being introduced in one of the post credit scenes should tie in really really well with the um mcu and it will be quite interesting to see where he falls within it and how he will be added and when he will be added because obviously he has the uh, the soul stone which is the only infinity stone that hasn't yet been shown in the mcu and if we're to believe what people are saying about the infinity wars then that means that Thanos gets hold of all of them. So where does that play out? So I'll leave that with you. Um, Aisha, a.k.a. Her, a.k.a. Kismet, she was a surprise addition, especially to the Sovereign, but she was great and really served only to set up Adam in the post credit scene. And as I mentioned earlier on, Stucker Award, uh, Starhawk, getting together the original Guardians from the 1960s, which was obviously minus Yondu. It kind of teams up a film based on them and not the new Guardians for, for future films, I think James Gunn has said he wants to kind of go down that route of looking at the older style, uh, the older Guardians first. But we'll, we'll see how it goes. Overall, it was a really, really good film. It was an, I, I thought it was an excellent film. Great action, great dialogue. It's well worth the two and a half hours of your day um, when you add in all the trailers and the post-creds and everything as well. Uh, it only helps really to increase Marvel's stranglehold over the superhero films and kind of pushes DC even further down uh, and behind them, which is which is a shame. But 
you know, they've got a long way to go. It also helps to cement the, the, the future of the MCU past the next phase and it opens up doors to the Infinity Wars and beyond. And with Adam Warlock, it does hint, as I said, at the Soul Stone. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out over the coming films. But but yeah, overall, I would definitely give it a, definitely go and see it. It is a fantastic film. If you like the first one, you'll love this one. Um, it's it, it's one of those films that it won't even grow on you. You'll, you'll instantly love it. If you don't love it, then you need to give your head a bit of a wobble. So that's my review. Tell me what you think about it. Get on the Facebook page. Let me know what you think about it. And now for something a little bit different, we're going to go back. What we're going to do right here is go back. Way back. Back into time. When the only people that existed were troglodytes, cavemen, cave women, Neanderthal. Community Radio.
You're listening to the Film and TV Show with Richard S. on Heroin Community Radio. cracking song love that absolutely love that song so the uh, the little bit at the beginning uh, the we'll take you way back was a little bit harsh on people from the 1980s but you know i thought it was a little bit funny so i thought i'd just let it carry on and uh, and track into that so that song by rod stewart twisting the night away leads us nicely into the couple of films that are kind of hidden in the back of your mind so the first one i want to talk about is where that song actually comes from is the the film inner space if you've never heard of the film, you've never seen it, absolutely watch it. It's a it's a brilliant film. It's you know, it, it's very much a, an '80s film in everything that it incorporates. It's about um, a, a guy called Tuck Pendleton, who's played fabulously by Dennis Quaid, and he's a naval aviator who's kind of a little bit down on his luck and is kind of finding the next sort of thing to do. He goes into this scientific experiment to shrink him down into pod size, uh, to go into a rat or into a rabbit even to kind of see what what issues there are inside so that it can he he can help diagnose any issues, any problems and kind of go from there. But things go a little bit awry and he ends up being injected into Martin Short's character who turns out to be a complete hypochondriac. Uh, some will say much like me. But he he basically starts to hear things and Tuck doesn't know what's going on and he, he's kind of a little bit all over the place. So he finally manages to connect to the eye socket of um of Martin Short and they start to communicate and he starts getting chased around and everything and eventually it all comes good as any as any film does but it it's a great film because of what 
it, it was kind of a little bit ahead of its time, really, in terms of shrinking down and you know going into into rabbits to to look at problems, etc. It's kind of sort of stuff they're looking at now, which I think is is great, and it is a it is a really good film. It's one of the ones that people just forget about. I must admit, I I forgot about it for a little while until I saw something pop up on Facebook one day, and I thought, oh, do you know what? I haven't seen that film for ages and I just found myself looking at the odd couple of clips and then I come across that song and I thought oh that's just that just brings it all back to me now I can just picture that right at the very end in the car across the the California highway uh, you know the sun in sun setting in the background the beach the sea your atypical 80s American ending to a film I thought it was it, it really kind of brought it back to me so it's definitely a film you should have a look at if you if you've got the time to watch it. It's definitely something to to look at. Robert Picardo is actually particularly quite good in the short part he has playing the cowboy, um, which is really really good. I mean the CGI is bad, it is bad, but it's it's so worth watching uh, just for the comedy parts of it as well um, and the interaction that that Martin Short has via Dennis Quaid for uh, to Meg Ryan. I thought was really really great and because. It's an 80s film. It has to have Meg Ryan in it, obviously. You know, she was at the height of her fame back then. So, so yeah, that was that was the first one. The second one was Teen Wolf. Uh, a lot of people forget this was actually an 80s film. They think it was an early 90s. It was an 80s film. And it was, it's amazing. It's still a film that I talk about with a few of my friends every now and then. It's something that we always tend to come back to. It's It's one of those films that, when you watch it, you kind of think, yeah, I get it. Yeah, I absolutely get it. You know, the beginning scene where, you know, they've got um, the Beach Boys surfing USA blaring in the background. He's surfing down on a green um, camper van. And you just kind of think, oh, that's just your atypical American style there, isn't it? It's just absolutely brilliant. And it is. And, and it, it's a great film. I mean, the the soundtrack to it, having listened to it most recently, it's it really, really good. There's a lot of, it, it's amazing the sort of, just the subtle sounds, you know, the the symphonies that go on in the background is is amazing and it's really, really good and it allows you to to kind of appreciate the scenes more and it's more so in Teen Wolf because of everything that goes on with him changing into a werewolf and then playing basketball, obviously being a failed basketball player as, as a human, obviously becoming a werewolf makes him all the more better uh, and alienated at the same time, becoming quite how it, it makes him become more arrogant, more self-centered is I'm not quite sure how that works, but I think that maybe stems from the fact that he wasn't a great player to start off with and then becomes a great player when he's a wolf. It it, it kind of plays on the, the teenage emotions and the underlying factor is the changes that go on within a, a teenage boy and teenage girl's body um, at that sort of age, it, it's it's very clever and kind of having a, a dual meaning, you know, the fact that, yes, they're going through changes and obviously his is a more physical, actual, proper change. But I think that is just to emphasise and to kind of point out the, the actual changes that are going on and to, to kind of give a better understanding and teach the younger generation about what's happening. And obviously they're not going to get hair all over their body, turn into a werewolf and want to scratch people and play basketball. But... You get what I mean. You know, um, you know, I'm getting to, getting at. The last one is the Running Man. Um, absolutely amazing, amazing film. I absolutely love it. Uh, one of Arnold Schwarzenegger's best films, in my opinion. It's right up there. If you haven't seen the Running Man, it's actually set in 2017, and there's a very particular irony that I'll get to in a minute that that plays out in this film, which back in 1987, I think it, it it's just something that they probably never really thought of. Um, so Schwarzenegger plays a guy called Ben Richards who was a, a pilot uh, in the armed forces and he was framed for murdering loads of people uh, and he's put on to a game show called The Running Man uh, which is hosted by Killian and played m uh, amazingly by the brilliant Richard Dawson. And uh, they basically go up against stalkers and they, they chase him around this city centre type thing and they end up getting killed, etc, etc. Uh, but he just doesn't obviously follow by the rules and picks each one off one by one. Um, some of the stalkers have some cracking names. You've got Sub-Zero, Buzzsaw, Dynamo, and there's a particular one, um, a particular scene in the film where Schwarzenegger just shouts out, hey, Christmas tree, hey, light bulb head. It, it just makes me crack up every single time that I hear it. 
Um, you've got Fireball, uh, Captain Freedom, and they all set out to kind of get him. Uh, but in the end, obviously, it's you know it's, it's a normal film. He prevails, wreaks his revenge, gets the true tape out that shows that he was innocent and that he didn't do anything wrong, and the world is all good again, uh, which is brilliant. And the irony that I'm that I alluded to uh, moments ago is that in the film, the character Killian expresses his um, his reasoning for creating the the Running Man is that in the USA, in the, the totalitarian state of the USA as it was in, in, in the film, were reliant on reality TV and their their love of reality TV and the fact that they want it and they need it and everyone pays attention to it and treat it as gospel and, and everything else. The irony now is, in some respect, that is kind of true. There is a lot of people who kind of live their life by keeping up with the Kardashians, Geordie Shaw and Towie and all the other TV shows that that kind of fall into that reality bracket. And it was kind of spot on, not in the totalitarian kind of state, but the the reliance and the belief that people have and the amount of energy that people put into believing all of that, is it kind of rings true, which was, it's a bit sad, but, you know, it, it's great. So they're my, my three films. What do you guys think? Let me know on the Facebook page. Let us know what your what your films are of the 80s that you can remember. Um, and because we were talking about uh, Teen Wolf, I want to play one of my favourite songs from the soundtrack, as I said earlier on. Uh, I hope you enjoy this. I will not surrender 
charity that I'm fundraising for um, is the charity Shine, which is a bit of a mouthful, but it stands for Spina Bifida Hydrocephalus Information Networking Equality. Since being diagnosed with hydrocephalus, I've received so much support from the charity, and I just feel that I want to give something back. To find out more, go to www.shinecharity.org.uk. So, what did you think of that? It definitely makes me think of Teen Wolf. Absolutely makes me think of Teen Wolf. I love it. And I love that people are getting involved as well. A lot of films shouted out, uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Adventures in Babysitting. Absolutely, yes. And someone mentioned that um, there was a an incident of someone with an appendage hanging out in one of the scenes in Teen Wolf. So I will have to check back at that. But I didn't know that. So that would be very interesting to go back and just have a look at. So thanks for that, Nick. Um, thank you for everyone getting involved as well. It's amazing. Um, so 80s gems then. I've uh, got a couple for you this week. So this week the first one is Space Camp. If you've never heard of it, it's uh, it's kind of like Apollo 13 for kids, basically. So you've got a group of teens um, and a 12-year-old who is played by Joaquin Phoenix, but he's credited as being called Leaf Phoenix. Leaf. So, yeah, very, very strange. But basically, they go to Kennedy Space Center and um, to learn all about NASA and everything. And uh, Max, who's played by Joaquin Phoenix, becomes friendly with a uh, a, a robot called uh, called Jinx. And there's a couple of uh, I've got a, I've got a couple of quick uh, quick clips for you uh, for those just so you kind of get the uh, the idea. So you kind of get where we're going with that. So very um, kind of very au fait. And basically Jinx overhears Max saying that he wish he could go to space because um, uh, Max gets uh, a rollicking by by someone. And so basically he initiates, as obviously robots can do from the 1980s, a thermal curtain failure during a test of some uh, of a rocket which basically ends up sending the rocket into space. They've got no oxygen, they're not prepped for it, absolutely nothing. So you can see where the Apollo 13 for kids comes in. And basically, they end up landing and everyone's happy, happy, happy. But it is a great, great film. It's definitely one that, that I, I mean, I haven't watched it for a very, very long time, but it's definitely one of my childhood films that I really, really do enjoy, or did enjoy, and quite keen to watch it again, but wanted to kind of put it out there that it is a little bit of a gem and if you can find it anywhere a let me know where you found it and b let me know what you think about it because it's great um the second film is mannequin uh which is an absolutely brilliant film um most of you probably know it or you don't if you don't know it then you've got to watch it it's it's a hilarious film it's basically about um a, an artist who kind of does odd jobs for uh, shop windows and he has a thing about setting up mannequins and doing it all artistically, and then he finds the perfect one, which happens to be played by Kim Cattrall, and it comes to life, as it does. Uh, he falls madly in love with it, and people try to kidnap her, and 
all sorts of malarkey and everything. But it's 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 so cheesy. It's amazing. Um, you have to definitely give it a watch if you can. It's just one of those that I just think is it. It's just it's just cheese. It is just cheese. I mean, it's it's got a pretty decent soundtrack to it and a couple of very good one-liners, but it's definitely cheese, and you should definitely give it a watch if you can. It's just one of those one of those films that it's a, it's a nice feel-good film. Um, if you hear the main song, nothing's going to stop us now. Then, you know, if you remember that, then you'll remember the remember the film. It's it is absolutely brilliant. So what we're going to do now is, as I said, we're going to do a name that film clip. Uh, so what I want you to do is to have a listen and let me know where the film, uh, where the clip is from. Uh, we'll play a quick song and then we'll come back with the original. So here's the, the clip. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass and I'm all out of bubblegum. So that was sent in by one of our listeners, Nick, Nick Walter. So thank you for that, Nick. I'll play it one more time for you guys. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass, and I'm all out of bubblegum. So, can you name that film?
So have you managed to work out where that film, where that quote has come from and what the name of the film is? Uh, I've had no one message or say anything where it's come from, so I'm going to have to give it away. Uh, the film is from, uh, well, the quote from the film They Live, um, which was sent in by Nick. And here is the original for you so you can have a listen. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. So thank you very much to that, for that, Nick. That was brilliant. So for the last 10 minutes or so, I just want to talk about a couple of 80s TV programs. Um, first one being Married with Children. Um, I only really thought about this a couple of days ago when I saw something on Facebook and I thought it was absolutely brilliant and hilarious. Uh, with Al Bundy um, just literally ripping into people and it really made me chuckle and it remind, reminded me of when I actually used to sit and watch it with my mum and dad um, many, many years ago and it was really, really funny um, and looking back on it now, probably a bit sexist <laughs> but you kind of got away with it back then but it, it was really, really good. I really enjoyed it. Um, I'll be interested to kind of see how that would play out in, in the modern world but, you know, who knows? Um, the next one is Quantum Leap. Uh, absolutely love Quantum Leap. Still see it showing up on the odd uh, TV show, TV channels every now and then as I'm skipping through. Absolutely love it. If you've never seen Quantum Leap before, it's about a doctor who ends up being dragged through time and jumping into people's body. Um, he has to complete tasks to change their life or stop them being killed or whatever before he can move on and go, you know, try and jump home as such. But but actually he doesn't really ever get home. He just jumps into person after person after person, which I think is a bit strange. Um, but he's accompanied by Al for a while, and then he goes away, and then he comes back, and Al is kind of his friend from the future but can communicate to him, um, which is really, really odd, but it's great. And it was actually one of TV Guide's top cult shows of all time, believe it or not, uh, and I didn't know that. So definitely one that you should um, that you should... You should watch if you can. And the last one, the last one, which I still really, really enjoy now, is um, is this one. See if you can tell me what this one is. Now tell me you didn't enjoy that little bit there. It's absolutely a, it's absolutely brilliant. I mean, the best part about it is Pat Sharp's mullet. I mean, let's be honest, it's all about Pat's mullet. Um, absolutely brilliant. Loved it and would love my boys to be able to watch a programme like that now. It was just brilliant. You know, you had the messy games, the Grand Prix going around the track. Then you had, you know, the winning team would then go into the fun house to go and create, you know, get tasks and then, you know, win at the end. It was brilliant. Absolutely amazing. And... It's just I, I wish they had stuff like that for for the kids nowadays. It's just I do feel bad for for the kids not being able to to have that sort of stuff now. But it was it was great, and I mean they're just three of the of eighties programs which you can kind of get back in into if if you really want to. For me, it would probably be Funhouse. I I kind of watch Quantum Leap every now and then for a little bit, uh, kind of flick through, watch it for twenty minutes. But it's because I've seen so many of them, I would definitely recommend any of them. And if you can find the Al Bundy thing on Facebook, watch it because it's absolutely hilarious. Uh, but yeah, but that's it. That's it for us tonight. Thank you very much for joining. Thank you very much for listening. I really appreciate it. Thank you for getting involved on Facebook uh, and on Twitter as well. If you want to like our page on Facebook at FTV Show or Film and TV Show on Harrywood Radio, and on Twitter we are at the FTV Show. Thank you very very much for your time. Uh, I really appreciate it, and I hope to see you again. Uh, next week. There is one more thing. It's been emotional.
film and TV show with Richard S. Only on Heroin Community Radio.